We're wrapping up uh, this series today, Faith, Hope, and Expectations. Uh, We started off a few weeks ago saying that the foundation of our faith as Christians is not an experience, it's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And all of us, regardless of our worldview or religious orientation, all of us as humans tend to try to figure out what God is like based on the way that we interpret our circumstances. And so we talked about that a few weeks ago, this particular kind of faith, and we called it circumstantial faith. Remember that? How many of you remember circumstantial faith? Because this is the fourth week now that I've mentioned it, so I'm just wondering if it's landing anywhere. Circumstantial faith. It's on the screen. Just play along with me. I remember that well taught. Can we say that together? Circumstantial faith. Wow, you have such great memories. Great. We've... We've all experienced this and participated in this kind of faith from time to time. This is very important because circumstantial faith is our ability to see God in the circumstances of life, or maybe I should say our inability to interpret our circumstances as God sees them, right? And for many of us, even as Christians, if we're, even, as, even if we're devoted followers of Jesus, our tendency is to look for God in the circumstances of life, which isn't in and of itself a bad thing, but unfortunately that tends to then become the foundation of our faith. And the problem is, we aren't very good at this. We said that the problem with circumstantial faith is that it is very, very fragile, because eventually both the pleasures of life and the pressures of life erode circumstantial faith. So then we defined faith. We said that faith is simply confidence that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He's promised to do. Which led us to the next logical question, what then has God promised to do? Because see, this is the difference between faith and hope. Hope is, here's what I want, I hope you'll do it. Faith is, here's what I want, I know because you've promised to do it. And we can have absolute confidence and faith in God when He's made a promise, and everything short of a promise is simply hope, and there's a place for that. Today, we're going to talk about what does it look like then to have great faith? You know that big, extraordinary, amazing faith. And whether you're a Christian or not, whether, whatever your worldview is, there is a faith element in all of us. Because every different kind of worldview, whether we're talking about Christianity or whatever, here's what we all have in common. All of us are kind of just trying to figure out how life works. And the older you get and the more maybe that life throws at you, the more you want all this to kind of work, right? And the, the, the more you want it to make sense. And in your worldview, no matter what it is, there is an element of faith. Like if you believe in any kind of God, there's a faith element. And when something happens in the real world, like you want to know like why then did that happen? Like why do these things happen? And how does like how does prayer factor in? And does consistency, I don't know, in my lifestyle matter? And what about like is it karma? Like what's the deal? Like what can I do? How can I harness this power or this force or whatever to get the world to cooperate with me? And of course, if you were raised in church like I was, it's about trying to get God to cooperate with me. But for all of us, there's this faith thing. Like, what do I believe? Is it faith in myself? Like, if I believe in myself, like, here's what I can accomplish. Or maybe you were raised in in church where, in, in in a church culture where maybe if you had enough faith, you could get God to do stuff. 
And maybe if you have a lot of faith, you can even get God to do stuff that God wasn't even planning to do. Like it hadn't occurred to him until you brought it up. And you, you've heard like these miraculous stories of healing and miracles. And you're like, I want to have that kind of faith. So like a couple weeks ago, we addressed that question. Like, what do you do then when you have hope and God doesn't give you what you hope for? So today, uh, this is, like I've said each time, this is each, none of these messages is a complete thought on its own. They have to, all four of them kind of go together. But today we're going to wrap it up. And I want to talk about what it looks like to have big, incredible faith. And in a few minutes, I'm going to read uh, several things that Jesus said. And these verses kind of explain how Jesus' faith was a reality and how he lived it out. And then we're going to read some of the happy Bible verses that people love to use. And these are verses that say things like, if you believe, you'll receive. If you ask, you'll get it. Those are the verses that, strangely enough, Christians and non-Christians love to go to in an attempt to do something that honestly drives me crazy. So, um, in fact, I was thinking I might rant about this for just a minute. This isn't really part of the message. You could press pause right now or whatever. But this drives, this drives me crazy. Maybe it does you too. It's hard to find a religion or a worldview or any kind of system of belief around like how the world works. It's hard to find any of those things that doesn't involve trying to hijack the message of Jesus at some point. Like, and as a Christian, I'd like to say, well, like, you, can't, can't you make your belief system stand on its own two feet? Like, do you have to prop it up with Jesus? I mean, there are all kinds of false religions uh, that use Jesus, modern philosophers who use Jesus, teachers of a prosperity gospel who use Jesus. And what really drives me crazy is that they kind of go through the New Testament and they find a verse that says something like, if you believe, you'll receive. And, and they say, see, even Jesus believed if you have enough faith, you can get what you want out of life or, you know, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. So like, there are all kinds of verses in the Bible that if we just lift them and rip them out of context, you can make them say whatever you want them to say. And in America, like if you have a little bit of Jesus, it's like, woohoo, you know, good for you because we all have like respect for Jesus. So if somebody can take the words of Jesus and blend them into their way of thinking, or their religion, or their philosophy, it, it starts to give them some traction. And even faithful church people will buy their books, and subscribe to their podcast, or their YouTube channel. Anybody can have a YouTube channel, just so you know. We'll share, we'll share their content on social media. We'll vote for them, or whoever they tell us to vote for. It drives me crazy, because when you read the words of Jesus, like all of them, not just your favorite ones, not just the magic ones, you know, where you, if you read the whole story, Jesus is really, really clear. What he's especially clear about is that he was a person of extraordinary faith, and yet his faith wasn't something to be leveraged, listen, to do something extraordinary on his own. His faith wasn't something he leveraged to get the world to work his way. His faith wasn't something he leveraged to get God the Father to do his bidding. Jesus, in his humanity, was a man of great faith, extraordinary faith, and he was extraordinarily surrendered to the Father. And when you open the pages of Scripture, there's one thing that's crystal clear from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, and it is this, that great faith is great surrender. We said this a few weeks ago, that faith is confidence, that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he's promised to do. And if we really believe that, if we'll really embrace that, 
the logical response to believing that there is a God who knows your name, He is who He says He is, He is sovereign, omniscient God, the God who loves you enough to send His Son into this world, to live among us, to die for your sins so we can have a relationship with Him. If you believe that, the logical response to that is not, what can you do for me? The logical response to that is, how can I serve you? The logical response to that kind of faith is not leveraging it for your benefit. It's total surrender. So when we open the pages of Scripture, and we don't find Jesus leveraging his faith or his power for his sake or for his benefit. It's always for the sake, for the benefit of the Father in heaven. Now, here's why I'm going on and on about that. As you try to figure life out, and you're trying to like land on and pick a belief system, and you're kind of spinning the wheel, right? And, you're, and you're, your mama was one of these, and your daddy was one of these, and your grandmother believed this, and you read this cool book, and you heard this guy speak one time, and you saw this guy on YouTube or Instagram because they're credible. Listen, because as a culture, we are so like get it done oriented because we are so progress oriented because we like to think that we are so in control because of all these things. We're suckers. Like, we're suckers for anybody who comes along and says, here's how to do it better. Here's how to do it skinnier. Here's how to do it richer. Here's how to do it with more faith. We just lump it all together. And here's what I just really kind of want to say about all that. Let's leave Jesus out of that. Like, don't try to incorporate Jesus into that way of thinking, because that's ignorant. That's someone who hasn't read the whole story. It's like saying... Um, I have a dentist appointment coming up, I don't know, sometime in a couple weeks. It's like saying Todd loves to go to the dentist. How do you know that? Well, I saw him go in there. He loves the dentist. I saw him go in. He goes in there a lot. He spends a lot of money there. He loves it. You laugh because no one loves to go to the dentist. And if you're a dentist, I apologize. We love you as a person. But like, don't, <laughs> but don't try to pull a piece of my narrative out of its context and try to make a case for your argument. But people do this with Jesus all the time. And what you'll discover if you read the Gospels, Jesus had extraordinary faith, but his extraordinary faith led to extraordinary surrender. So here's a warning, okay? If you're considering becoming a follower of Jesus, a big part of following Jesus is surrender, a big part of following Jesus isn't, you know, now that I love God and because, you know, I love his son, God's going to do what I want God to do. That's not part of the equation. So as we finish up the series, and I just want us to understand that faith, biblical faith, is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do everything he's promised to do. We can ask God for anything we want. Sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. He's made a couple of promises, though, and every time we come to him, you can expect to experience, because he's promised his presence, he's promised his grace, he's promised his mercy in our time of need. When we come to him and get a no, and you feel like God's ignoring you, then we can lean heavily into his grace, and where he says no, and where you have the most pain, that is the area that God wants to do his greatest work. Your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity. Faith isn't about getting out of pain. 
Faith isn't about escaping the circumstances of life, although that sells. I mean, that sells books, right? Faith is simply waking up every day and saying, you know, God, you are great and I trust you. My great faith is going to be manifested in this world as great surrender in your direction. That's what great faith looks like in this world. So let's read a handful of verses here. I want, if you want to follow along, uh, we're going to move around a little bit. We'll put them on the screen as well. They're in the Bible app for you too. We'll start in John uh, chapter 5. We're going to read a bunch of verses there. Then we're going to end in 1 John, which is near the end of the New Testament. See, John was a follower of Jesus. He recorded his experiences with Jesus in his gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then after Jesus left, he wrote some letters to some of these early churches and to some individuals, and those are called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I don't think he named them that. We did. And he also wrote the book of Revelation, and we're not going to go there today. So let me walk you through, maybe someday soon, but let me walk you through these first few verses, and here's all I want us to listen for. Jesus, with all of his power and the fullness of deity, his godness, all of his faith, was not here to do his own will. He was here to do the will of the Father. And as you continue to follow Jesus, or as you consider becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, the authenticity of your following will be shown not by learning better how to get God to do what you want God to do, but in Christianity, great faith looks like great surrender. And honestly, that's a little uncomfortable and a little bit threatening, and we'll see in a minute, it's kind of the only way to go. So let's read some verses. John chapter 5, verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. Oh, Jesus, that's kind of negative, you know? You go around the rest of your life saying, you know, I can do nothing, I can do nothing. And Jesus, you won't do anything, okay? You need to be positive. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So like, wait a minute, wait, Jesus, so you're not here on a happiness quest? What kind of an American are you? No, no I'm not. Like, well, well are, what, are you, like, what are you doing here? Like, what is your purpose? You must have an agenda, some goals. No, my, my, my purpose here, my life here is pretty simple. I'm here to listen to what my heavenly father wants me to do, and I'm going to just do that. And I don't do anything on my own. I'm here to do the will of the father. And if you follow me, that's what we're all going to do together. John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus speaking again. I do not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know, verse 50, I know that the Father's command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So it's like our response is, okay, let me get this straight, Jesus. You're here to just do what God says to do. You're here to just say what God says to say. Like, really? Yep, that, that, that's kind of it. Like, so you don't have your own agenda? Nope. You don't have your own plans and dreams and goals? Nope. Simple plan. I just do the will of the Father and I say what the Father wants me to say. John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus still speaking. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So, 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 so Jesus, you don't like initiate anything? Like, nope. Well, I thought you were like a troublemaker and an extremist. Well, not, not really. I'm here to do what the Father says to do and to say what the Father says to say. That's pretty much it, to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. So it's like, so Jesus, it's almost like you're under someone else's authority. Like, it's like you're taking your cues from somebody else. And he would say, yeah, as long as I'm here in the flesh, in a human body, you got it. That's pretty much it. 
wow, so like, why would anybody then take anything you say seriously, Jesus? You have like no original ideas. You have no agenda. And he would say, oh, but I do have an agenda. My agenda is to do the will of the Father. Well, well, why? Well, because I have extraordinary faith. I believe that the Father is who he says he is, that he will do everything he's promised to do. And if there's a God who can be trusted like that, why would I, like, why would I like, show up with my own agenda? Isn't the logical response to that kind of God surrender? Oh, verse 39 of John 6. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who has, he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So, so, okay, just slow down, Jesus. So you're all about the Father's will, and the Father's will has basically like uh, skipped right over you, and it's all about other people. That's like selfless. Like I'm not sure, like I was with you for, I mean, like, especially like the, sh- the show, like the miracles and stuff. Pretty cool show, Jesus. I, I enjoyed that. The free food, all you can eat buffet out on the hillside all about that but this is getting a little weird so i'm not really sure i'm just i i'm not sure i even want to do that listen yet here we are two thousand years later gathered in his name it's pretty good for somebody who didn't have his own agenda i mean is anybody going to read anything you said two thousand years from now or 20 years from now or tomorrow (laughs) right they've already deleted your facebook post or your tweet if you've ever uh, wrestled with the authenticity of Christianity, like here's a question to wrestle to the ground. How did this kind of stuff ever get out of the first century? Like why would you even write this down? Like why would anybody follow someone like this? I mean, I'm, we're like, get me a job, Jesus. You know, get me my wish list. Get me some comfort. Get me some prosperity. Because I, you know, I just, I'm a pretty good person. Get me some success. Get me some popularity. Like, I can go with that. I can, I, I get me some leverage, you know, around those kinds of things. But the idea of wake up every day and the plan is just do the will of the Father. Like, say what the Father says. Or like, pursue the Father's agenda. That's, a, that's different. And, and I'm telling you, if at any point, your life is going to intersect with Jesus' words. You've got to know where he's coming from. So if at any point you try to leverage the words of Jesus for something that's for you, that's self-centered and selfish and is going to make your life richer and more comfortable and less stressful, then you've got to back up and understand where he's coming from. For Jesus, it wasn't about that. His great faith results in great surrender. These words in John 14, Jesus. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. So Jesus, it sounds like you're just like a vessel. You're like a conduit. You're like a pipeline. And God's like doing his work through you. And like, ah, starting to get it now. That's pretty much it. So if I were to, based on all that, if I were to close right now, don't get excited. And if you want to, like, like, hey, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, why don't you raise your hand? We'll all follow Jesus and just lean into this kind of surrender. And you're like, yeah, but what? I got questions, right? Like, what about the prayer thing? How does that work? And what can I pray for then? Like, and, and how about, like, get healed and have more money and be more successful and be all that you can be? Like, where's all of that? I want to read a few verses and tell you where that kind of comes from. And as we read these verses, remember the context of everything that we've already read that Jesus also said. Because he said, I didn't come here to do my will, 
but to do the Father's will. I didn't come here to say my words, but to say His words. I didn't come to do my thing, but to do His thing. So with that as a backdrop, listen to this, John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Preachers love this verse, by the way, because it's like, look what Jesus did, you can do greater things, you know? Look at what Jesus accomplished, you can do greater things, and cue the hymn and organ and the bass guitar behind me, but and look at what Jesus accomplished, you can do greater things, and kick in my preacher voice, and Jesus healed, and you can be healed, and Jesus promised you're going to be greater than he's ever, anything he's ever done, and and the self-esteem thing rises up and the confidence rises up and like, we're Americans, we can do anything we put our minds to and, and we're going, wow, if I can tap into that kind of power, imagine what I can become. But Wait, if you hung around with Jesus and you heard him say that, that kind of thought wouldn't even cross your mind because his followers understood when he said, look, you're going to do greater things than me. All that meant was, as you surrender to the will of your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father is going to do greater things through you than He did through me, that as you become an all-out surrendered, big kind of faith person, that God is going to do extraordinary things through you, and they're going to be the same kind of things He did through me. oh, Oh, and listen, and they're not going to be for your benefit. They're for the benefit of other people, and that is how God is glorified. This isn't about us coming up with a, a, a list and saying, all right, God, you promised. You know, this is about, it's not about that. This is about us getting on our knees and saying, okay, God, what's next? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? What kind of person do you want me to be? Oh, verse 13, Jesus continues. He says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I'm telling you, that will preach. Jesus will do anything you ask him to do. Anything. Yeah, anything. If you have enough faith, you just believe. Put a picture of her on your bathroom mirror and believe. You know, it'll happen. You know, God, I'm believing it. Put a picture of that car on the refrigerator. God, I'm believing in that. You know, and write down how much money you want to make. Just write it on a piece of paper. Stick that somewhere and believe it, because Jesus said, if you believe it, you can receive it. Yay. Oh, also for $24.95, I have my new book out in the lobby, and uh, my picture is on the front, and I will sign it for you afterwards if you'd like. Um, and we'll all get everything we're asking for. It feels so good, right? And it sounds so good. But we haven't, it's like we haven't listened to the whole deal. Because Jesus listens to us say stuff like that and lean into stuff like that. And I think he's saying to us, wait, 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 wait. Nobody sitting around the campfire that night thought that's what I meant. They knew that when I was talking about receiving and when I talked about doing, I was receiving and doing the will of the one who sent me. This isn't about initiating new ideas and bringing stuff for God for him to get involved in. This is about surrendering and saying, God, what do you want done in my world? What do you want done in my family? What do you want done in my finances? What do you want done in my marriage? What do you want done in my church? What do you want done in my community? I'm here to do what you want me to do, to say what you want me to say, just like the one that I follow. I'm just a conduit. I'm a vessel. I'm here to do your will, not to figure out how to get you to do mine. Later, the same John would write to a group of Christians and he'd say kind of the same thing in a different way. 
In the epistle of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 14, he says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So when I was a teenager growing up in the church, uh, I hated the according to His will part. I just tried to get around that best I knew how. Uh, If you were a church kid, you know what I'm talking about. You just try to manipulate the words to make it work in your situation. Ask God to do something. You know, why would I ask God to, like the whole according to your will thing, why would I ask God to do something he wants to do anyway? That doesn't make any sense. I got to bring an idea to him that he hasn't thought of yet and work around. He's probably not paying attention to my deal, so I need to remind him of my deal. So I I just thought, you know, dear God, I I thought prayer was like, dear God, I have an idea and I'd like for you to consider this. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Oh, verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Which basically means this. Look, the point is, we're to spend our lives learning the heart of our Heavenly Father and being that. Being the heart of the Father in the lives of the people we do life with. And when you're in alignment with him, He'll do what He wants to do in the world through you. What an honor that is. Great faith is translated into great surrender. Great faith sounds like, God, what kind of person do you want me to be? What do you want that to look like? How do I live my life in light of who you've created me to be? I want to do your will because I believe that you're God and I'm not. I believe you can do anything you want to do. I want to be in alignment with that. So God, I'm surrendered. I just want to be who you want me to be and to do what you want me to do. Sounds good, right? And in this setting, we're all like, yeah, that sounds good. But why don't we actually do that? What keeps us from doing that and landing there every day? Well, first of all, I'd say because we're scared. Because it's scary sometimes to say, God, I'll do whatever. Because we've read The stories throughout the Bible where people have said, I'll do whatever, and then the stuff God asked them to do, it's like crazy stuff, right? And uh, like, I like it better when I can come to God and say, "Uh, God, I got some stuff that needs to get done, and I need you to help. If you just want to do it, that'd be great. That's not faith. You know what that is? That's, that's, uh, I got a, I brought a prop. That's backpack God. That's what that is. It's backpack God. It's just, I'm just going to take my God with me wherever he, uh, Wherever I want to take them, and when I don't want to take them, I'll probably just leave them in the car. So here's what we do. We got all of our backpack stuff, right? Backpack God stuff right here. Let me just see what I got in here. Um, let's see. Let me dig right. It's, it's full. It's heavy. Oh, I got World's Smallest Bible right there. I got greatest Christian album ever recorded, DC Talk, by Jesus Freak. Got my can of intervention. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Can of intervention. Didn't have the prop last week, but I found that at the bottom of my backpack. Uh, let's see, we got, uh, let's see, oh no, not that one, Blue Eyed Jazz, where'd that come from? That doesn't belong in there. Uh, we got, there it is, Purpose Driven Life, first edition, uh, The Chosen, got to keep up with my God stuff. Uh, we got a big Bible, giant print, because that matters. Uh, Bob the Tomato, because if you want deep theological truths explained, Bob is the way to go. We got my WWJD bracelet, uh, got Baby Jesus Fisher Price version, got my uh, wordless bracelet. Oh, and my, oh, this is the most important one, my Jesus action. Oops, Derek Jeter, sorry. thought that was Jesus. Uh, but we got it all. I got all my stuff. And uh, what I like to do is just kind of get all of my God stuff in my backpack here. And uh, 
that felt pretty good. It's really cold. Did you know that? It's like, oh, don't do that. It'll freeze your skin. Get my tiny Bible. All my God stuff, right in my backpack. And let's just, Sunday, so I'll take them with me. We'll probably go to lunch somewhere. Um, I might want to gossip a little bit, so I'll probably leave them in the car. And uh, maybe be rude to a server and that kind of thing, not tip very well. So I'll just leave my God backpack behind. And then tomorrow when I'm going to work, I will probably take it with me to start with because I'll have good intentions. It's Monday. Well, I'm not going to work tomorrow, so hey, that's even better. Um, Tuesday when we go back to work, um, I'm, I have good intentions. I want to be surrendered. I'm going to take my God backpack. And then by my first break, I'm throwing that back in the car because these people are idiots. So... <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> great thing about God backpack is I can take him with me wherever I go, and, and, and the, but, but, which is great, it's convenient. But the beauty of it is I can leave God wherever I want to leave him behind because like, I got some stuff going on, I got stuff planned that I want to do and I want to enjoy myself. Uh, I don't really want God to be a part of that. He doesn't need to be seeing that. And um, Well, actually, I take that back. I have some traveling I need to do, so I need them for that part just to keep me safe because those Massachusetts drivers are nuts. And, uh, And like, you don't physically do this, I hope. Maybe you carry little icons around, I don't know. But most of us, that's how we treat God. We treat God like He's a manageable thing. Then somebody got sick, so we took a big risk. We're like, okay, now, God, Aunt Martha's really sick, and you know she goes to church. You know that, so I need you to go over there and do your thing for her. Uh, what's it going to take? You want a cookie? Like, what are you, what's it going to take, God? Like, I mean, how do I get you to do what I want you to do? And before you come out of the backpack, like, understand, God, I'm not inviting you into every area of my life. I just, for now, uh, want you to heal Aunt Martha because she means a lot to my mom, and she's a good... She loves God too, and so uh, that'd be great. Take care of that, and then probably uh, you you can get back in the backpack because I got it under control for now. What an insult to God, the way that we treat Him. Like, if we aren't going to live our lives like we can trust Him for everything, why do we get frustrated when God doesn't come through in that one area that we invite Him into? Like, if we're going to live like there is no God, why do we get upset then when God doesn't show up? Like, who do we think we are? And I think the ultimate insult is to come out with some new way of thinking and then to say, we'd like to invite Jesus, some select words of Jesus into our way of thinking You know, Jesus did say, the truth will make you free, and we like that one. And he did say, you know, ask and you will receive. We like that one. But not the cross and the blood and all that stuff. The whole deity thing, that's a little bit over the top. And virgin birth, come on, what does that matter? I don't know. Like, we like to take little bits and pieces of Jesus and bring them into this new way of thinking that helps me get what I want out of life and helps me feel better about myself. And I'm telling you, it's an insult. He came as the Savior of the world who lived among us, who bled and died. And even though He was the Savior of the world, He didn't have His own agenda. He just came to do what God said, to say what God said, to do the will of the Father. And we may not like that, and we may not want to follow after that, 
But let's at least have the courtesy of leaving him out of our hodgepodge philosophy of life. Like, let's not insult him by trying to pick him apart and make him into something he never came to be and never presented himself to be. Like, imagine living your whole life with backpack God, and then you die, and you meet the real God. And God's like, what do you got in the backpack? And you're like, oh, man, you would not believe what I got in here, God. I got, wait a minute, I thought we left it all behind. That's a trick question. I don't know what you're talking about, God. What backpack? There's going to, I mean, I'm being facetious because there's a point coming where we're going to realize how foolish this all is. There's going to come a time when all the magic prayers and the bargains, if I do this, then this and this, then God will do this and this and this. I think I've figured out the formula. I've, I've cracked the code. And it all comes crashing down. So all I'm saying is this, if you've decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that will lead to surrender. If you've decided to be a follower of Jesus, that leads to surrender every single time. And the greater your faith, the greater your confidence in who God is, who God claims to be, confidence in what he has promised to do, the greater your surrender. And the logical consequence, the logical response to being in his presence is not to build yourself up in, like, in your greatness, it's to fall on your knees. Like even Jesus, the son of God said, I'm not going to leverage my greatness over the will of the father. I'm not going to like initiate anything here. I'm just so aware of how great God is. I've just come to do his will. I think we all get to this place one way or the other. And if life is like going great for you right now and you've got a backpack, God, and that's working for you, you've got this neat little system that works pretty well for you, you know what? One day you'll be flying along like a bug over the highway and everything's great. And suddenly, because you don't see the windshield, but suddenly you're just splattered all over the place. You never saw it coming. And little backpack God won't come out for you. And the formulas aren't working for you and the bargaining thing isn't working and positive thinking and karma aren't working for you and you can't find the page in the book that you read that changed everything. All of a sudden, all of that falls apart. I got some great news for you. Listen. When broken people call his name, he answers. That's why most people come to faith through brokenness. Because the facade of control, the facade of I'm in control of my life, suddenly life just kind of breaks that apart and you realize I'm not in control. I've never been in control. And God's like, if that's what it takes, that kind of brokenness at the very bottom of the pit, when you realize that you just can't do anything, if you'll look in my direction and call my name, I will answer every time. Like, here's what you can expect from me. Every single time, you'll find grace and mercy in your time of need. I'm still the God that can be found. And in your brokenness, you'll be glad that I don't fit in your backpack. And you'll be so glad that I'm bigger than your philosophy or your worldview that makes me so small. You'll be so glad that I'm sovereign God. And in that moment, you'll understand that surrender isn't something to fear. Surrender is where the peace is. Surrender is where there's purpose. Surrender is when your faith intersects with God's faithfulness and suddenly you have this like aha moment of your heavenly father becoming alive in your experience. But anything short of that, I think we're just playing games. I think ultimately we're kind of insulting our creator. 
And why God doesn't just strike us all dead is because he's a God of infinite mercy and infinite grace. And it's his desire for us to come to him willingly. And you can come to him willingly because you get it. Or you can come to him willingly because of everything around you. All the stuff you've been propping your faith up on has come crumbling down. He will take you either way. That's the message of the cross. It's the message of a violent criminal dying beside Jesus. And he can't really like rededicate his life, right? He can't go out and make any changes in his life. When you're dying on a cross, you can't really say, now Jesus, from now on, let me tell you. It's like, well, from now on, it's like 30 minutes for you, buddy. Hate to tell you. You got both hands and feet nailed to this thing. So from now on doesn't mean anything. And Jesus said to him, oh, you you should have, he didn't say to him, you should have thought of that earlier. You should have started this conversation a few days ago. No, no. He said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Because I'm the Savior who represents the God of infinite, infinite grace and mercy. And every time you come to me, regardless of what condition you come in, you're going to receive grace and mercy, grace and mercy, grace and mercy in your time of need. But what an opportunity we have right now to make the decision to be people of extraordinary faith. To say, we're going to give our lives as if God is who He says He is. So we're going to live lives that are surrendered. We're going to get up tomorrow morning and we're going to say, God, what would someone like me do if they're absolutely convinced that God is who He says He is? It means getting up every morning and praying these words that maybe you've quoted 10,000 times. Not my will, but your will be done. That part of Jesus' prayer in the garden, that part of the Lord's prayer that you just rattle off without thinking about it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. That's a statement of extraordinary surrender. That's the beginning of a relationship with God through His Son that maybe you've dreamed of and never really experienced. That's why God sent Him into the world. And that's why Jesus said over and over, like, I haven't come to do my deal, but to do the will of the Father. So let me ask you this as we close this series. What would that look like for you? I know that's kind of scary. But... Maybe what we're doing right now is scary too, like building our lives on circumstantial faith, right? That's a foundation that's going to crumble. And if you don't think you're ready to fully surrender to Christ and to the will of the Father, let me just challenge you with this. Just tell God. Just tell Him, God, I'm not sure I'm ready to trust you with this, with like every area of my life. Uh, so I want to be intellectually honest and I, 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 I'm never going to, so like I can't trust you with every area of my life so I'm not going to ask you to intervene in any area of my life. Like, so this is the last time I'll pray for a while so I'm checking out for a while, amen. You're like, can't commit to that either. It's like, are you checking? Like why not? Get in or get out. And your gracious heavenly father has invited you into a relationship that's characterized by trust and trust translates into and results in surrender and that's where life change takes place i don't know what that looks like for you my suggestion is just pick an area of your life and start start with an area where it's you're kind of out of control anyway 
Or just throw up your hands and say, I'm surrendering the whole deal. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what your will is. I don't know how to find your will. I just found Genesis, and I thought I'd accomplish something. That was great. But I'm so at the beginning, I don't even know. But God, I believe that if you're God, you can be trusted. And so I want to know what it means to trust you with every area of my life. And it feels a little bit like a free fall. But today I've realized I'm already in free fall. I've been fooling myself into thinking I had any control. I think this is the message of Jesus. And it's a story we've all been invited to take part in it. For some of you, it's just going to be a quiet prayer on your own. For others, you need to get with a small group of other believers and get some questions answered. Maybe you've got to go home and clean house. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but you kind of already know. Here's my plea for you. Let's, let's not spend another season of our lives playing around with the God thing and carrying around a backpack God. If we're going to be in it all, let, let, let's just take him seriously. If we're, going to, if we're going to try to follow Jesus at all, let, let's surrender our lives as an expression of our faith. Great faith is great surrender. And great surrender is simply living our lives as if God is who he says he is and that he will do everything he's promised to do. Listen to the words of the song.